You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There is big news in the NFL, and we start there tonight with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We were all curious what would happen to Joe Judge, and it looks like the coach of the New York football Giants has been let go. We knew that David Gettleman, the GM, was expected to retire, however you want to put that, but now we know that Joe Judge is also going to be gone. And before we get into any of it, Sarah, maybe we should just give a little bit of love to our guy Gettleman that's given us yeah, so much content creator good for, content the show. for the show. Yeah. We're building. Hey, Dave, mm. what up? Mm. Why should people trust me? Why shouldn't they? You know, it, it, it's, it all depends upon how quickly the puppies come along. Mm. We've hired four computer folks, uh, uh, software. We're building. Mm. Oh. Man, that, the we're that. building. I think, I think we can just grandfather that in. It, it doesn't need to be you know, re- relative to anyone currently employed anywhere. I think it just should stick around. It's part of the show. Yeah, I, that's that's a permanent fixture, Spade and Fitz. And look, I I will say this: I'm not surprised by the move. I also think it's a good move. And for all that will be broken down about it, the one thing to me is when you start an organizational reset, it starts with the GM, and that GM should never be hamstrung having to decide to stick with a particular coach. Because right. if you've done that, to me, you've done it the opposite way from the get go. You put yourself behind the eight ball. So the announcement that they're moving off from Joe Judge means to me they have a better chance to actually come in and say, okay, we are starting a re-rebuild, an actual rebuild, I should say, that will start with the GM and let that GM pick their coach. Obviously, that's the order you want to go in. And listen, it's it's worth noting that occasionally you're going to be stuck in a position where the coach you really want is out there doing interviews, potentially getting wooed by other teams, and you need to you know strike while the iron's hot, get grab them before they get grabbed. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have the option and you know you're going to be in a position where you're bringing in a new GM, and when you have a head coach like Joe Judge who has made this many mistakes over the course of the end of the season, as I've seen people pointing out, you know, he it was pretty simple. They wanted to hang on to him. It was a a disastrous end to the season where they were uncompetitive. It looked like the team had potentially given up on him. And listen, a lot of that is absolutely Mike Glennon, who was a disaster. But they were getting doubled up, tripled up in all of the games. He was asking for more power and decision-making within the organization. He was doing things that brought shame to the organization, like running QB sneaks on third and nine. Mm. It was so bad that their desire to keep him was outweighed by the mistakes and the shame that he brought over the end of, of of the course of his time there. And I think that says a lot, too, that this franchise was not seeing already the writing on the wall that he needed to go, that this team was not getting better. I heard someone say today, I don't think the Giants of December could beat the Giants of September. Now, part of that is injury, but it's also because they were getting demonstrably worse, which is not something that you can accept. You know that there might need to be a runway for true success and a winning record, but you also can't have a team that looks like they're not getting any better under someone. That's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think one of the most difficult things about this entire process is that continuity matters so much. But what do you do if you don't have the right guy? You don't want to remain fiercely loyal to somebody being on the sideline if that somebody can't get the job done. So there is a fine line in all of it. Now, Dan Orlovsky, uh, one of our favorites, was on Canty and Golick Jr. Earlier, this was his thoughts on Joe Judge being fired today. Yeah, that's what happens when you stink at your job. You know, like you get fired. Um that's the brutal reality of the NFL is when you're not good at that role, they find somebody else who is. I think that what happened over the last month for the New York Giants was embarrassing. Um, you both play football. Uh, I think in youth sports, one of the first things we all learn 
carries over in team sports as you get older is you never embarrass the name on the back of your jersey and you never embarrass the name on the front of your jersey. And what has happened is it's become embarrassing. And the way he's handled the press conferences and the way he's handled the play on the field is unacceptable. This is New York Giants. Like, this is the New York Giants. And um, I'll give credit for the Giants for making a difficult decision. Yeah, I forgot about that part, too, that 11-minute rant that he went on, um, which was reminiscent a little bit to me of when the season started, and I was not impressed by his oratory skills. I tweeted out the day of his introductory presser, I'm amazed by all the people who want to run through a wall for Joe Judge after that presser. He sounded like if you put a year's worth of head coach press conferences into a computer and then had the computer AI answer a bunch of questions. Hashtag culture of winning, hashtag blue collar mentality. Now, I didn't know whether he'd be a good coach or not. I just was surprised how many were impressed by that. And the through line for me has been the idea of Joe Judge sounded good to everyone involved. The actual execution of Joe Judge was disappointing throughout. Yeah, so what do you do, like, if you're an organization and you've got a coach that knows how to nail an interview but doesn't know how to coach a game? And that's that's the risk, and, and look, we're going to get into it over the course of the next couple hours because it impacts the team you love so much as well. But the, mm. the hiring process, finding a coach is such a wild crapshoot. Like, you're, you're taking it, and this is something that I know Dominique Foxworth has written on in the past, the need for a head coaching combine so owners can actually see how guys will handle situations because – we're reminded through the entirety of what we've seen from Joe Judge that, you know, there are times that you can just get everybody on your side. We had Logan Ryan on this show in the past, and he talked about how much he loves Joe Judge because he can talk to him as a man, and he loves some of those qualities. You can connect well with people. You can be a great interview. It doesn't mean you're a great coach, and it doesn't right. mean that you can handle the game situations well, and that's what we've seen from Joe Judge. And unfortunately, in the NFL, you don't get a lot of time to learn on the job. There's not a lot of forgiveness, especially in a market like like New York, when you're not good, your team's not good, and it seems like you're getting worse. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, reacting to the news that the Giants have released Joe Judge as their head coach. He's out. Dave Gettleman retired slash was pushed out, whatever you want to term that. So another rebuild for the Giants organization. And to your point about whether or not press conference skills translate to success, I think obviously there are some longtime coaches in the NFL that have some charm to them that have a way with words, but you look at a lot of them and that's certainly not what stands out about Bill Belichick, Andy Reed, Mike Tomlin, you know, some of the longest tenured guys, Bruce Arians. Now there's a Pete Carroll in there. I think Ron Rivera is usually pretty likable. You know, Mike Tomlin can get up for it when he wants to, but for the most part, it's not about those guys throwing a bunch of cliches at you and telling you how tough they're going to be and how their team is going to be biting kneecaps, et cetera. Those are people who are just smart and good at the football side. And I think, in my opinion, a lot of times the old school knee-jerk response is to take the guy that gives you the feeling that this is going to be a tough-nosed football team that's tougher than anybody else. And in the end, what you really want is a smart coach, one that can get along with players, one that can be a middleman between players in the front office and the owners and everything else, uh, but more than anything, a smart, sound coach who knows how to execute during games. And that's not going to come out from the speeches they give. It's going to be when you sit down and look at tape and ask them what they would do and the decisions they would make with your personnel. Yeah, it's such a reminder that a head coach is the CEO of so many things. And mm -hmm. I just don't know as much as you can think that you're ready for that job. 
I don't know how how easy it is to put those pieces together for a lot of these guys, you know. So we'll see what happens next. But the breaking news, Joe Judge, no longer the coach of the New York Football Giants. That's some straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. All right. There's some straight talk going on in each of our lives. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. We'll get you a rant and a rave you do not want to miss. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm just saying. It was it was a night. It was a night to barely remember for me Sunday night. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Sarah. I... Things got a little wild on Sunday night in Indianapolis at high velocity. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to get in, and uh, I ended up getting in, and I ended up having a a night. Let's just put it that way. And uh, I think I I was done with my evening at around 3 a.m., which is good when the next day. Open at 3 a.m.? Well, the bar, the the bar eventually, like the bar eventually, just asked me you know, kindly to leave as they closed, but they did offer. Wait, was anyone else left to make me? There were like two or three stragglers. Okay, they, so you had some company. You weren't yeah. just sitting alone. No, no, no. I, I mean, people were were everyone was celebrating. Uh, in fact, at one point, I will tell you, as the uh, I walked away from the group. I, 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 there ended up being a lot of people, right? So I'm hanging out at high velocity at the beginning. There were a few people. I bought some shots. We had some drinks. The game started. Everything felt good. As the night went on, I think more and more of our colleagues at ESPN realized that I was going to be there and probably losing my mind. So it felt like the room was getting more and more crowded. But by the end of the <laughs> night, I had a random bar chanting my name while I jumped up and down as the Raiders oh, won. It was a surreal, a short of being like on in the, the stadium, table, it was, on the booth. Where were you jumping? I, I need was to jumping picture this. It, on the ground. I was I was respectfully jumping on the ground oh, after oh, knocking over a table of alcohol. <laughs> I was respectfully oh, no. jumping up and down on the. It was. It was it was a wild night. There was a lot. Like, I don't think I've drank that much in probably 20 years. So it was, it was. let's just say, worth. I, I tried to stay as sober as possible for the majority of the game. Tried to, like, keep my nerves calm. But well, then as we got into yeah. the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, uh, there was no more. Like, then it, it was done. I couldn't handle it as the Raiders started to melt down. It, it just got out of control. Well, I, I have a couple things to let you know. One is that uh, – we do have a collection of your social media from that evening mm-hmm. uh, turned into uh, a narrative reading, which I will have for you later in the show. So okay. we can all look forward to that, for that and we yeah. can take that journey with you all over again. Also, um, I'm, I was I was talking to a couple folks that were there, uh, namely Mike Golick Jr. and L. Duncan, who was there with their husband. Um, I, I just want to get a feel. First of all, I want to see if there's any video of your night. Um, but uh, did you pay for a lot of stuff that night? Okay, so I go up at the end of the night, and I'm like, let's tab it out. Now, let me just say, I've never in my life said I need 15 shots of tequila. That's how I started the game. I've never mm-hmm. in my life said I need 20 shots of whiskey. That's how I ended the game. So I'm mm-hmm. fully aware that I was I was going for it, right? Right. Like this was a this was a special night. I was fully aware I was going for it. I was not expecting to walk up to the bar and get my tab and have it be a very specific amount that was like just shy of a thousand dollars pre tip, just shy of a grand. I have Whoa. no idea. And, and you know that I'm cheap, like to my core, I'm cheap. So even if I was like at Stephen A's status where I just like make it ring whenever I want right. to, I don't do that. Like I'm not the guy that goes out to fancy dinners. I think twice before I buy an extra value meal, large yeah. size, because mm-hmm. it's too much, right? That's so it was a moment where I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm drunk. I can't really contest this bill. But I think I just bought everybody's drinks all night long and I don't even Ooh. know what to do about it. Mm. Okay, well, let's ask the people, first of all, um, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, 
Uh, be a part of the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Join Spain and Fitz Nation. Hit us up and answer, was Jason Fitz's $1,000 bar tab worth it? Um, we're going to start there. I'll post that in just a moment. But I also, um, when you mentioned your bar tab, I was curious if you really did pay for everyone or if maybe you got got by a bartender who knew you were hammered. Um, Michael Jr. says he did remember signing his name and paying. L. Duncan says she's fairly sure her husband uh, paid for, for them. And she did write to me when I said that you got a $1,000 bill. She wrote, oh, no. We got there at 1130. And let me tell you, Fitz was deaf blitzed. Mm-hmm. And then Michael mm-hmm. Jr. also said he thought maybe they watered down the first shot of tequila, too. So I'm wondering if high velocity did you dirty. Wow. I'm sh- like, I'm I'm not confrontational enough to actually ask that question. Mm-hmm. Like in that moment, I should have been like, I'd like to see this itemized. How many days removed from paying that sort of tab? Can you call the manager and be like, I'm going to need to see drink for drink what I purchased. Also, right. how would I even contest it? Because I'm pretty sure even if they came in and said you had this many vodka sodas and let me tell you by the okay in it by overtime it was just one of those every time i finished one there was another one in front of me right. i will be the first well, okay so how many yeah. shots did you buy uh 35 shots okay total. so let's say you had 35 shots let's bump it up to like ten dollars a shot okay that's only 350 dollars. Okay. now yeah. how many uh, vodka sprites or whatever do you think you vodka had? sodas probably had i probably had a dozen vodka sodas maybe okay 10. that's something maybe we should talk about later yeah. after the show's done maybe yeah. let's say those are 12 now okay. you're at 144 so you're not even at 500 bucks yet for your own drinks and the shots so i don't know either you're vastly underestimating how much you drank or high velocity is uh extremely overpriced or you got got friend i don't think that my my body is physically like i'm not a big drinker anymore i don't think i'm physically capable of drinking much like and look i i was i was not in good shape for much of yesterday but I, I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm I'm dead, right? Like, so I feel like there's no way I could have taken that much more than, than what I what I think I took in. Otherwise, I, right. I'd be dead. Right. Well, we'll ask the people if the $1,000 bar tab was worth it. We will also ask them if you got got by a bartender who knew you were hammered. It's Spain mm-hmm. and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Now, um... We don't have as much time, but we don't need it because I don't get to tell you about a bar tab from a fun night out celebrating my team's win because we didn't have wins. Uh, We didn't win the final game against the Vikings, but that's of no consequence. We were given a brief win. It was roughly two to three hours between the time the Bears announced that they were firing Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. Now, I'm not celebrating anyone losing their jobs. I'm celebrating that the team needed to move on from a group of folks that I thought should have been let go after last season's disappointment. Well, the way things went this year... Um, It was all but assured they were gone, but we needed that actual firing to know for sure that the team wasn't going to run it back again. We're real excited here in Chicago about that news. We're looking forward to who the candidates might be coming in for the interviews and an opportunity to take advantage of a young quarterback that a lot of us are really hoping and counting on being the franchise guy. Well, just a couple hours after that announcement, George McCaskey comes out to lead a press conference. No Ted Phillips. We're like, oh, this is great. Ted Phillips should run the Arlington Park potential new stadium deal for the Bears, focus on the finance and the business, and we need to bring in a real director of football operations, someone who knows the game, because Virginia McCaskey's sons, uh, first one and now the next one, who have been running this team, are not capable of running a football team. So they finally got it through their heads that Ted Phillips isn't either. He should do business. Who are they going to bring in? This is a great sign that he's not sitting next to him at this presser. And then George McCaskey 
proceeds to absolutely destroy any hope that anyone in the Bears fan base had. He started by saying something very nice about our colleague Jeff Dickerson. And it was the first time he had spoken publicly since Jeff passed away. It was very nice of him to address it until he used that as an unnecessary and frankly infuriating transition to wag a finger at those None of them were the media that were in that room. None of it was related to what he was about to talk to, but to wag a finger at those who yelled about Matt Nagy getting fired at his son's football game. This is what it sounded like. Parker Dickerson is about the same age as Matt Nagy's sons. An NFL head coach understands and accepts that he'll be subjected to a fair amount of criticism and that, unfortunately, some of it will be personal. Coaches' children do not strike the same bargain. What Matt's oldest son was made to endure at a high school playoff football game was shameful and inexcusable. All he wanted to do was play a game he loves with his friends. Okay. Uh, I can't even spend the time that I would need to explain to you how angry I was when I heard that and how angry so many other people in that room were when they heard that. Um, comparing a young boy who's lost both of his parents to cancer to what it must feel like to have your dad booed and made fun of at a football game is completely irrelevant and necessary and super gross. Um, so that was how he started things. And then from there, he insulted one of the most respected four-time uh, award-winning uh, Brian Piccolo award-winning former player Olin Krutz and said he lied about the Bears offering him $15 an hour to help with the offensive line coaching, even though multiple former people, including Ronnie Pace, said that he was telling the truth. He wouldn't commit to a coach needing to consider Justin Fields the future of the team and said it wouldn't be necessarily a deal-breaker if a coach wanted to come in and didn't believe in Justin Fields. He said Bill Poling's name a thousand times as if we're supposed to believe that someone who's almost 80 years old, who is a Hall of Famer and very great, but most recently was known for saying that Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver or a running back, is the answer to all of our problems, even though he's not currently in the game, instead of asking for somebody who's currently in the game to help lead the search for your GM and your coach. And then George McCaskey says he's not qualified to talk to Matt Nagy about Justin Fields playing time because he's, quote, just a fan but also says that the new GM will answer to him. So if he's been in the business for 70 plus years, their family has literally been in the football business for a hundred years. He's just a fan. I, I we'll talk about the national championship coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I wanted to give you a second. We were up against the clock there and I know you had a lot uh, to say about the bears. And I want yeah, to let you yeah, finish yeah, your thought. Yeah. I kind of blacked out there for a second. My apologies. I almost Greg goaded myself. Um, I, I just to sum it all up, it was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing and insulting. And at one point, when they for the fifteenth time asked in a different way why he should be trusted to be the person who the GM answers to 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 lead a search for a GM and a coach to run the team in any capacity, his answer was basically ownership has you know given me a go vote of confidence and ownership says says I'm doing a job. Ownership is his mom. He literally <laughs> said, my mom said I'm doing a good job. Yeah. And he's also basically ownership because his mom's almost 100 years old and he's basically running everything. And again, I just want to point out this team is this family has been running football for 100 years. He for decades and decades and decades and somehow has still not acquired the 10,000 hours to know enough to, to to not answer a question with I'm just a fan. And then at the exact same time, say he should be trusted with anything. So that's all I want to say. 
say is that it's a disaster and you would think that Bears fans would be happy that there's turnover, but now we have to depend on somehow getting lucky enough for them to trip on their own you-know-whats into a decent GM and coach and save our hopes and none of us believes it's that going to happen. And I can't even make sentences I'm so angry. I can't even talk. That's like the only thing I'm good at, Fitz. (laughs) ESPN Radio (sighs) presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, we'll get back to the Bears. We'll get back to the Raiders. But in the meantime, uh, there was a big night last night for college football, and it's a big weekend uh, playoff time for Philly. So there's the rare combination of guests that are in the Rolodex that can give us all the thoughts on both of them. We go now to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined with our buddy John Kincaid. You can hear him on 97.5 The Fanatic. John, you know Atlanta so incredibly well. I'm trying to figure out how to put last night into context and let it still be a great night without running away with what it means moving forward. But uh, we have to go there. What does a national championship finally happening mean for the future of Georgia football? Well, when a Philly kid moved to Atlanta when I was, what, 28 years old, uh, they were, you know, to partner with the guy who won the only national title at Georgia as Mm. quarterback, Buck Ballou, to do a radio show. Uh, I can tell you that there is a, there was only one fan base in my entire time in the South that reminded me of the Philadelphia Eagles fan base that reminded me of the rabid, just fanatical nature of the Eagles fan base that I could relate to. And it was the Georgia football fan base. That's how it was because it was generational because it was grandpa to grandma, to mom and dad, to the kids, to grandkids getting bibs, from the time they're born, uh, Vince Dooley, uh, the legendary coach, gave my daughter baby booties uh, the day she was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's like it's a generational thing. It was the only thing that I could really relate to because the year I was born, Atlanta got the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the year after I was born, the Atlanta, Atlanta got the Atlanta Falcons. So they didn't have generational pro sports. But Georgia football was what I could relate to, that fan base, their passion, their angst. And I got to see my angst go away in, in, in 2018, and they got to see it go away last night. And I couldn't have been more happy for an amazing, amazing community and a great group of people. You mentioned the angst, and that's what I wanted to get to. Obviously, the Falcons are still there for you, disappointing year after year. But I wonder what the identity of a Georgia fan looks like after the Braves win it. And then Georgia football wins it and doesn't just win it, but upsets. I guess it's not technically an upset, but for many, Bama and Nick Saban. Uh, Who are you now? It's like what we were asked after the Cubs won. Who are you now? Well, I would imagine that the Georgia fan today wakes up just feeling, I, I, I imagine the title was more relief than it was just the pure joy. The pure joy probably comes later. It's the relief of saying it's been four-plus decades that we've been waiting for this to happen. So the Georgia guy wakes up this morning. I think at the moment it's relief. Uh, I know for me when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, it was a feeling of the, – the first feeling was just relief. It was this, oh, my gosh. For Georgia fans today, it's been, they've been so good for so long, but never good enough to sit at the parents' table at Thanksgiving. They've always been relegated to the kids' table because all these other programs in the SEC had won national championships, whether it was LSU or whether it was Auburn or whether it was, of course, Alabama over and over again, Florida with Spurrier, with Urban Meyer. They never got invited to the big boy table. And tonight, Kirby Smart sits at the head of that table. 
And I couldn't be happier for him because he had a plan, a methodical plan, Mm -hmm. and he talked about it from the day he was hired, and he carried it out. And I love it, uh, sort of like an A-team reference, I love it when a plan, you know, comes to fruition. It really uh, came together for them last night. We're talking to John Kincaid. You can check him out, 97.5 The Fanatic. You talk about a plan, and I've heard the NFL Network talk a lot about this. We're going to segue over here to the Eagles, a team you know incredibly well. And something that Kyle Brandt pointed out is that uh, Sirianni, when he came in, talked about, you know, a plant. And maybe he wasn't the most eloquent in attempting to do it, but it was a, an analogy about needing the roots to sort of come together and grow in. And that's what's happened for this team. Did we miss something with Sirianni early on in his ability, or did they just start to come together because they got lucky? Well, I'll tell you this, Fitz, is that the, the day he was hired, that press conference, uh, the, the first press conference that he did via Zoom, which was awkward to begin with, as you well know, doing those things. No one's ever as comfortable as they are. If I put, if I put look, if I put Spain in front of a, a room of people to speak to a room of people, or if I put Sarah on a, on, a, on a Zoom call, it's not the same effect. And I think it's the same for anyone. Nick Sirianni came off awkward. He came off clumsy. He had diarrhea of the mouth. And he was honestly appearing to be inadequate for the position that he was taking over. What we saw, though, in training camp, my opinion totally changed at training camp. Because when he would just walk off the practice field and talk about his football team, talk about what he saw with his two eyes, talk about what he envisioned for the season, he was incredibly relaxed, energetic, and very eloquent. And so that gave me a little more confidence. During the season, though, he was awful the first seven weeks. A dreadful until I walked out of that stadium that you love so much in Vegas, and they were two and five, and they were terrible. And then after that game, they're two and five. Season looks like it's in the toilet. He changes direction, which, by the way, I admire. As mm-hmm. bad as he was through seven games, is as great as he was in the last ten. And so I admire that he admitted his mistakes. He admitted the error of his ways. He changed the direction. He didn't lose a locker room. He didn't pull a Joe Judge. He didn't push point fingers at other people. Uh, I think I don't think we missed anything on Nick Sirianni. I think Nick Sirianni missed the boat on what the proper plan should have been all along. I think the Eagles could have won two or three more games, considering what we saw after they started to run the football and lean on their best players, which is the offensive line. Talking to John Kincaid of 97.5 The Fanatic, 25 years in Atlanta doing a show and hosts mornings now on 97.5 The Fanatic. Talking to Eagles, you know, I, I agree with you, except for on the part where I wouldn't crush a Zoom or an in-person. Um, I'm just, oh, you, you know. See, it's just not the same effect, yeah, though. It would be. It's no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm charming and, and, and completely effective <laughs> on both. But I do agree with you. And the thing with Nick Sirianni, we were just talking about this earlier in the show, is that there are great coaches who are not great press conference givers. And even though he's certainly gotten better and looked more comfortable to your point the most important thing is his ability to pivot mid-season he was trying to go past heavy offense he was not using the right um you know calls for his personnel and to make that change and even in a time when it seems almost counterintuitive to be run first he decided to go for it and it made the biggest difference this feels like another underdog eagles team which is what happened during the super bowl year is that how the fan base is embracing this team now this sort of no one believes in us how are they seeing this team and how are they seeing jalen hurts this is a completely different thing this isn't the 2017 eagles that were the underdogs that went to the postseason with nick Foles. Uh, I honestly feel like my hometown is looking at this as a great, great present, a unexpected surprise, the, the huffy bike underneath the Christmas tree with the knobby tires 
Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I think they're looking at this as a great joyous. It's my favorite word in the language. Um, <laughs> I think it, they're looking at it as a joyous experience. They're looking at it as a party that nobody expected to get invited to. And they're going to go into this thing. I don't want to say with house money, but I think that's how most people are looking at it. The Philadelphia fan base can sometimes be irrational. It's incredibly rational this week. They're incredibly understanding of what this team is, that it's just getting started, that they've got $55 million or whatever it is in cap space this year, that they've got three first-round draft picks to play with, that this is just the beginning. And they really want to find out what Jalen Hurts is going to do on a big stage. And can Jalen Hurts duel a guy like Tom Brady for four quarters? I think that's what they most want to see and see if they can believe in it. Real quick for us, John, you got a pick in the game? Yeah, I think Tampa Bay's the better team. And, and I, I do think the Eagles will play a much, much better game than they played even in Philly. And they only lost by six in Philly, which is weird because I'm going to predict for them to lose by more but play better. Uh, hmm. I'll, go, I'll go like, uh, like 34-23 on Sunday, Tampa Bay. I think, I, I think Tampa's clearly the better team. I, I don't have any reason to think that the defense is ready to stop Tom Brady enough. Uh, if, I, if I thought they could keep Tom Brady in the 20s, I think they could pull an upset. I don't believe they can do that. But I think it'll be a great jumping-off spot for Nick Sirianni after year one, and he should be damn proud because I'll, I'll give him an A for his rookie year. You guys can check him out on 97.5, the Fanatic. And, yeah, that, that Eagles-Buccaneers game, who knew there was more than one playoff game this weekend? I didn't know. That's on Sunday, apparently. I mean, so, John, yeah, we're going to be there, too. We, we're going to Tampa, too. I, I, I suckered Ooh, awesome. the bosses into sending us to Tampa, so we're going down to nice. enjoy a little 70-degree weather. So Fitz oh. said it was too cold to go watch his team, so he's not just, a real John, fan. You know what? I'll text you on this. Oh, my this, John. God. I, I, I know. By the way, Seth, I, I think you're winning. I think you're winning the game outright. How about I, that? I, 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 oh, wow. I wow. do. All I right. think you're the I'm upset of the weekend. I'm taking the rest of the, of the night off Great. so I can text John and find out what I'm not seeing about this because let's be real. <laughs> if I had any confidence, I'd be there. John, we appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so Take much. Take care of yourself. See you guys right. later. As we get through the national championship, there was one thing about last night that I think was more important to the outcome than anything else, and not enough people are talking about it. We'll tell you what it is next. What Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Dejectedly, Alabama comes to the line for this fourth down and 11. It'll be the last play, barring a penalty, and it ends in a sack. Young dropped back at the 41. That is a fitting ending. Nolan Smith, the sack. Georgia has won the national championship. Mm, what a play it was. ESPN Radio on the call. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, college football play of the month right there. Brought to you by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's over. Fans are celebrating their victory. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. I will cheesily say for a second, as I said on social media, that brought to an end uh, a, a long year for me of covering a bunch of college football I just really appreciate everybody that takes the time to watch those shows. They, uh, we, we had over 1.5 million people watch last night uh, awesome. for a digital show with a bunch of us that we're really proud of, and uh, that doesn't happen if people don't watch. So I'm And you love that crew, uh, which is super fun for you. Yeah, like I just – anytime I can work with that group, it's great. But there was something that really stood out last night, Sarah, and, like, it was interesting to me because it was something I asked Mike about in the pregame show and uh, Mike Oluk Jr., and it turned out to be true. See, I, I think that there was this – this element of sort of you got to get a certain monkey off your back. Like the quicksand is what Mike called it uh, from a player standpoint of knowing the here we go agains 
that can happen when things go wrong. And in the first quarter of this game particularly, Stetson Bennett wasn't good. I mean, at one point Mm -hmm. he fumbled when nobody was anywhere near him. It's like, and I was sitting in the production office, and I won't say who, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but one of our our main college football analysts just loudly said the game's too big for him. And you, It felt like it. It did. It felt like, absolutely felt like the game was too big for Stetson Bennett. And then you see... Later in the in the half, a long, beautiful completion, and Pickens lays out, gets just the the massive play, and there, there was like this collective sigh of relief. I felt like from Georgia at that point, they started to play a little freer, a little looser, and their defense had been able to keep them in long enough for them to survive the quicksand moment. I think that was such a key to say, hey, we can even just getting to halftime in a close game was a reminder that hey, we can hang in here and we're going to be just fine. Uh, to me. Stetson Bennett being able to survive the early hiccups of not playing well was the underlooked at part of this. And that one big pass gave him enough confidence to turn around and say, okay, I can sling this thing, which is what he ended up doing in the fourth quarter. I completely agree with you because what we knew about Stetson Bennett was how much better he played when his team was either was when his team was leading. Um, His ranks are sixth in raw QBR when Georgia is ahead and 71st when they're tied or behind over the last two seasons. Let me say that again. His raw QBR when his team is ahead is 6th, and it's 71st when they're mm. tied or behind because he goes for too many of the big plays. You're listening to the he Spain and Fitz podcast. Within the play, the play calling and the offense. And so what that defense did by playing the way that they did was keep it close enough that at no point did he have that panic moment of, I need to go out there and save the game. In fact, afterwards, when he did make that, that play that ended up being – wild where we all thought it was a terrible call and then they showed the replay we're like holy cow the officials nailed that that Mm -hmm. was a fumble and a recovery and that was a huge turning point he said I wasn't going to be the reason we lost this game and he got right back to it and he didn't lose his mind Benjamin Watson SEC network analyst and and former tight end for Georgia was on KJM this morning and he summed up a lot of what I said yesterday or before the game or, or Friday, whenever I was on around the horn, it was yesterday, I guess wow time is a flat circle um about how this game was going to be won and it was about the defense Back in the SEC Championship, Georgia, which had had sacks all season, they had pretty much run through every single team that they played defensively, got pressure on the quarterback in every situation. They had zero sacks in that game in Atlanta in SEC Championship. Bryce Young was able to make plays with his legs, plays with his arms. Georgia had busted coverages. The first big touchdown to Jameson Williams back in the SEC Championship was on a, on a blown coverage. There were other blown coverages. But last night, Dan Lanning and the Georgia Bulldog defense did the things they needed to do. They were assignment sound. They got pressure on Bryce Young. And not only was it just pressure from up front, but they varied how they got the pressure on Bryce Young. It's important to understand that getting pressure is not simply about one-on-one matchups. Well, that's part of it. But they brought linebackers from death. They brought safeties. They came from the outside, the inside. And when they were able to get to Bryce Young, they surrounded him and got the sacks that they were missing in the last game. The variance was the key, Fitz, because they did not show Bama anything new in the SEC title game. And I think maybe that's on purpose, right? Everything was on the line in this game. They didn't need to put everything on the line in the SEC championship. They were going to make the postseason regardless, whereas Bama needed that win for the playoffs. So they didn't deceive the Bama linemen in every way. They added all those things in this game. And if you remember that 24-point second quarter was the whole game in the SEC championship, Bama putting up 24 in the second quarter. They blitzed just 33% at the time in that quarter versus 50 54% the rest of the game. So they got back to what worked in that game, which was the blitzes, and they showed deception. They kept them guessing in order to get that pressure on Young. And to me, that was the game. And you you still have to execute it, even even if you know that that's what's going to work, But and they did.
You know, I was thinking about a couple of moments that we had on the show last week watching the game and talking about the blitzes and, and you know, Bryce Young in the SEC championship game completed 75% of his passes when he wasn't, 40% when he was. I expected mm-hmm. more, but I also thought going back to some of the conversation we had with Trevor Maddich last week, and he talked about how Georgia didn't disguise anything well at the SEC championship game. And to your point, they disguised where they were coming from so mm-hmm. much, and I thought it was really smart. And you know, you can look at a couple of these things uh, as, as explanations. I mean, obviously, some injuries changed the offensive yeah, line. Yeah, for sure. Alabama. Well, and then losing not just Jameson the line. Williams. I mean, right. Because you, you already lost John Mechie weapon. the third. Yeah. And, and so it felt like at that point, the wide receivers and Bryce weren't necessarily on the same page. And that's okay to say. It doesn't take anything away from the fact, though, that Bryce Young has been so spectacular this year that he really was going to have to play lights out, and the defense was going to make sure he didn't stay comfortable. Also, as simple as it is, they got home. And and I keep thinking about, too, talking to Pollock before the game, and he said, look, at some point you also have to look at it and say everything that could go wrong for George on the defensive line in, in the SEC championship game did. And everything that could go right for Alabama did. And you can't expect that to repeat itself. I mm-hmm. didn't know early in the game because it felt like it was happening again. Georgia was stepping on themselves. But as the game normalized, especially when you got into the fourth quarter, what you really saw was, I think, the confidence that comes with knowing you belong in the room. And it was it was surreal to see that rise up moment from Georgia in a crowd that was absolutely pro-dog, 100%. Yeah. They were mm-hmm. feeding off of it, and it was electric. I would also say that if you haven't seen any of the clips from the Stetson Barrett interview on GMA this morning, go check those out. Uh, Major props to him for everything he accomplished. It's an incredible comeback story, but he was drunk. Uh, Still (laughs) drunk for sure. Best case scenario, just very tired and hungover, but I'm guessing not enough time had passed between that early morning GMA interview and when he stopped partying. Uh, he, he, he he did his best, uh, but definitely go check out some of those clips. Stetson, I feel your pain, dude, on a much different level. I mean, like I said, right. I left the bar at 3 a.m. Saturday. You were watching, did, he was playing, but yeah. I did a, I did a hit on Sports Nation at 9 a.m. a few hours later. I'm still not sure that was a, a, did a, lot of hits, a great I bet. idea. All right, coming up, an off-season of huge changes coming for Sarah's Bears. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Let's bring in someone else who's probably experienced a fair amount of blackouts over the last couple days trying to cover the Bears locally for ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Mark Silverman joins us on the Goodyear Hotline here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sylvie, uh, we don't have time to rehash the McCaskey presser yet again, uh, but I ran down the biggest offenses. I would I would assume that you agree that invoking Jeff Dickerson's son was the very worst of all of it. But as it relates to football, what was the most offensive part to you? The most, uh, uh, and good evening, guys. Um, the most offensive part to me is that they hold guys accountable. And this all started, Sarah, the history of George McCaskey. His first big, bold move was firing Lovey Smith after a 10-6 and season. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, look, there's a new way of winning. They went 10-6. and They didn't make the playoffs. They hadn't been to the playoffs in five out of six years. George has high standards. So in that time, George McCaskey is chairman of the team, has never won a playoff game in 11 years as chairman. His team president, Ted Phillips, who has been in the same role for 23 years. Mm. Bill Walsh used to have a 10-year rule. 
He has now uh, doubled that and uh, nearly uh, went two and a half times that long of the great Bill Walsh. And he has won three playoff games in the role of president. So the point is, when you hold a, a coach like Lovey Smith, who is, I think, second historically uh, in the modern era behind Mike Ditka um, in, in the wins, and then you don't hold your own self and your own president accountable, that to me is, is laughable. And it's not laughable for you and I because we're Bears fans and we continue to pay for it as, as such. So then give me the sense of hope where it can come from because I think – if you look at most of the bad organizations right now making coaches changes or, or just organizations in general, there's a lot of chaos from leadership. So if you're a Bears fan right now, where do you find your hope? My hope is in Bill Polian. Uh, you guys know Bill well. Um, we've had Bill on a lot. He's a Hall of Fame general manager. What he built with Indy, what he built with Buffalo in Carolina, um, you know, um, he's not perfect. Um, but he he knows the game, and he's leading them uh, to some of these candidates. I looked over the list today, guys, and, you know, there are some good names on the mm-hmm. candidate list. Um, and, and it's sort of like this rinse and repeat thing, Sarah, where not only is it rinse, repeat with, with firing and hiring people and not getting it right and not winning big, but it's sort of like this, this cycle that I'm on where I was furious yesterday and I'm still mad today, but like now today I'm back to the point where I'm like, Ooh, the, some of these mm-hmm. names are good. Right. Right. And they now, might accidentally ooh. get it right. <laughs> right. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, Dan Weeder on our show who writes for the Tribune used the analogy for when the bears drafted Justin Fields. Um, the bears didn't do anything genius in drafting Justin Fields he just kept falling in the draft, and you just watched him play at Ohio State. And you're like, ooh, this dude's too good. we got to go up, and we got to go get him now. And they were drafting 20th, and they went up to 11. It wasn't like what they did with Mitch Trubisky. This was a proven guy. And Dan always compared it to it was like a $100 bill blowing down State Street. And what do you do <laughs> when a $100 bill blows right. down State Street? You bend over and you pick it up. Right, so right, right. May, maybe they'll get lucky again with another $100 bill and a guy like Doug Peterson or someone else, you know, just changes their fortune in, in, in winning here. And in their case, they had to walk a block to pick it up, but it was worth it. That, that was them trading right. up. Was they, they had to walk that block. Mark Silverman of ESPN 1000 with us here on the Good the Year Hotline on Spain and Fitz. You and I are similar in that we, we, we try to be cynical, and then, like you said, after long enough time, we come back around to hopeful because there's no other choice. It's, it's, sports are not like a restaurant where you get a hair in your food once and you never go back. You just keep coming back no matter what they serve you because you don't have a choice, and that's what it feels like for Bears fans right now. I wonder, you know, we're very cynical while also being hopeful because we have no choice for outside folks who are looking at this job, not just Justin Fields and the personnel, but also working with the McCaskey family, answering to a guy who calls himself just a fan who may alternately be an easy person to answer to because they don't know Jack, you know what, or difficult because they've been inept for 70 years and don't seem to care about getting any better. How do people from the outside view the job? Um, you know, they, a, a lot of people keep saying that it's a good job because of Justin Fields. Um, it's not a good job because they don't have a first-round pick, and, they, and they're not deep 
with all the draft picks they do have. They don't have deep pockets when it comes to salary cap room. But if they did get the quarterback right, if Justin Fields is that kid that we watched play for two years at Ohio State, and and no one – the thing is, is when you watched Justin Fields play, uh, Monday Night Football, the, the nation watched, and they saw him in that second half, and the flash plays are there. But maybe you tuned in some other Bears games, and you're like, ooh, doesn't look good. I could tell everyone this from watching every snap of every uh, quarterback who's taken a snap under Matt Nagy's offense – None of them look good. Nobody. Mitch Trubisky didn't look good. Andy Dalton didn't look good. Nick Foles didn't look good. No one looks good in mm-hmm. the Matt Nagy offense. Again, in that last game of the year, uh, they, you would have thought they would have scored 30 points with the way they were marching up and down the field against Minnesota, and they just didn't. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, Sarah. It's good because of field. It's good because you're, you're at the same starting point as your general manager and you're, you're going in this as a team. Um, but it's also bad because they have not answered the questions on why they've been bad for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, in our town, the Cubs, the Blackhawks, and the Bulls didn't get good until they really looked in the mirror and they said, we need to change the way we do business. And the Bears resist to have that conversation internally. So, Sylvie, you mentioned earlier Doug Peterson, but I've also heard all the rumors, as everybody has, that, you know, Ryan Day from Ohio State or Mitt Harbaugh from Michigan. For the fan base, is it better to have somebody with a proven NFL track record, or in your mind, should they be looking at one of the hot names from college? They've all failed, right? I mean, you know, we've seen success with a lot of them, and they've failed. I mean, the Bears have tried every everything. Matt Nagy was the hot assistant last time coming from the Andy Reid tree. The, the, the coach before that was John Fox, a guy who had been to, to the Super Bowl with Carolina, the Super Bowl with Denver, and was a veteran head coach who assembled the good staff. That didn't work. The guy before him was Mark Trussman, the Canadian Football League guy, who had been a coordinator in the NFL before. That didn't work. So there, there are so many different ways. I'm open-minded to all of them. Um, and, but I do like, I do like both names that you mentioned. I, I love the, I love Harbaugh and for the people who say, well, he didn't win as big as you thought he would win at Michigan. They're in a much better spot today than they were before Jim Harbaugh took over. Mm-hmm. They win football games. Jim Harbaugh's record in San Francisco as the 49ers head coach is awesome. He went to three NFC championship games he, he developed Kaepernick. He got the most out of Alex Smith. Um, Ryan Day I like a lot. I think Ryan Day knows offense. And for those who say, well, college coaches don't make it, that's not true with all of them. And Ryan Day, don't forget, has been an assistant coach in the NFL. So if they would hire at the end of the day Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh, I, I would love to come back on your show and say I'm pretty happy with who the Bears got at coach. Yeah, I'm I'm more of a uh, I think I think I'm more of a Doug Peterson than Ryan Day. I think I'd rather have someone with proven NFL experience, but I'm with you. I think Harbaugh would be a good choice and has, you know, proved himself um and maybe knows the team and the ownership well enough to to navigate it because that's another interesting angle there is how do you navigate working with the McCaskies while also trying to to be successful. Hey Sylvie, thanks for the insight. I know you've been talking about this all day every day, so appreciate the extra time. Thank you, brother. Always, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank you. 
Mark Silverman, you can hear him in ESPN 1000, Waddle and Sylvie, and it's going to be quite the offseason as the Bears look to fill those <laughs> positions. You could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. ESPN Nation is, yeah, again, presented by Dr. Pepper. I'm Ron Burgundy. The college football season is over, and fans are celebrating their victory. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Uh, we'll answer some questions about Fitz's bar tab. Also, the reckoning has come on the polar plunge and other things. That's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, man. I was uh, pretty fired up for the reckoning that would come at the end of all of our many bets this season, but things took a turn for yours truly. We're going to get to that in a minute. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Earlier in the show, we were talking about Fitz's wild Sunday night. We didn't have a show last night because of the national championship game, which was too bad because there were so many things about that Chargers-Raiders game I wanted to talk about. Also just about his blood pressure, his experience. The good news is he was essentially keeping a running tally of his sphincter status on social media. And uh, we got an excellent recounting of all of that, uh, a really well done job of, of following along with Fitz as he navigated his way through one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, and this is a bit of what it sounded like. 7.02 p.m. Eastern Time, Jason Fitz tweets, Dear Indianapolis, I apologize for what's about to happen. I just ordered another round. God help us all. 8.21 p.m. Eastern Time. The shots have been bought. The drinks are ready. Let's effing go. 8.33 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, I should not be in public. 9.08 p.m. Eastern Time. Am I supposed to drink when the Raiders score or when they are scored on? Asking for a friend. <laughs> no, I'm asking for me. 9.16 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, 9.52 p.m. Eastern Time. Dear high velocity in Indy, you are delightful. And I am sorry. We interrupt this Jason Fitz rabbit hole to give you this text message exchange between Jason and Sarah. Sarah sends a message at 9.55 p.m. Eastern to Jason. Drinks consumed in sphincter status. Jason responds, so many. Less than you'd think. <laughs> I think we got this. Back to the rabbit hole. No matter how we got here, we sit at the half with the lead. Unreal. 10.53 p.m. Eastern time. Holy 11.10 p.m. Eastern Time. <laughs> At this point, I'm just trying not to break into tears. <clears throat> trying. 11.12 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Time. To the act like you've been there before crowd. Nah, I'd rather find unhinged joy in this entire experience. 11.20 p.m. Eastern Time. Please, God, I don't ask for much. We once again interrupt the Jason Fitz rabbit hole to give you the Sarah Spain tweet. Oh, my God, this finish. Ah, uh, phrasing. Um, Sarah. <laughs> what? 11.35 p.m. Eastern Time. I am not well, and no amount of tequila will fix this so far. 11.51 p.m. Eastern Time. Dearest football gods, kindly F star, 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 off. 12.19 a.m. Eastern Time. I just ordered 20 shots of whiskey. That gives you an idea of how my night is now going. 12.21 a.m. Eastern Time. Tears for every troll out there. Find someone else. 12.38 a.m. Eastern Time. I am flat out inspired by how my co-workers supported me tonight. Man, I love my at ESPN family beyond words. Oh, hammered. 44 a.m. Eastern Time. Dear football gods, pretty sure I owe you an apology. I blame the alcohol gods who would like to have a word with me as well today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well done, Kevin Winter. 
Thank you, Kevin Winter, for pulling those together, for allowing us to take a ride through Jason Fitz's psyche. By the way, the more I hear that, the more I believe you did just get $1,000 of drinks on your own. Uh, the pro proclamations likes. of love, <laughs> the blaming it on the alcohol. You never forget the moment that the bar's chanting your name and you're jumping up and down because you're happy yeah. they were. But there yeah. was a moment where it got a little hairy when everybody was saying. chanting, we want to tie, except for yeah. me. That you didn't probably make also... Uh, forgot most of the other moments, though, because you blacked out. Yeah, uh, speaking of, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, uh, news from Spain and Fitz Nation. A bunch of you hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to answer our poll. Uh, Jason Fitz celebrated the Raiders' big win Sunday, got a $1,000 bar tab. Worth it? 51.4% said no. 48.6% said yes. So, you know... Uh, uh, close at Jeff Norman 90 hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed said how much of that accrued during the Chargers last drive of regulation uh, if Fitz remembered he would tell you but again probably doesn't remember we also asked you, Jason Fitz thought the $1,000 bar tab happened because he paid for the drinks of other ESPN folks at the bar, but a quick poll of a few of those folks reveals they signed their own tabs. So which was it? Fitz drank $1,000 of booze, 36.9%, or he got got by the bartender, 63.1%. Uh, perhaps a little overserved and didn't realize that you just signed away on a tab that didn't match what you ordered. Yeah, that's I'm starting to feel more and more like that. But I don't know. Like, I just don't feel good about that. I mean, High Velocity was a spectacular host, and I feel yeah. weird calling them now saying I need to see an itemization. Of it, but also kind of cheap, so I kind of want to see an right. itemization. You're very torn. It. It's yeah. very, you're very torn. At Werner James 5, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, no reason in particular, but which bar in Cincinnati will Fitz be frequenting this weekend? <laughs> uh, I think he wants to hop on that bar tab. Okay, so... The good news for Fitz is that his Raiders won. There's some bad news for me in there. But let's just quickly recap, do some house cleaning, some reckoning on all of our different uh, uh, bets and challenges. So at the beginning of the season, we had a beat reporter for each NFL team on, and each had to predict their team's season record after their preview. The winners, who all accurately and perfectly predict their team's record, Daniel Popper, 9-8, and eight. Adam Teicher, 12-5 and five for the Chiefs, Daniel Popper's for the Chargers, and Lindsey Theory, 12-5 and five for the Rams. So we oh. will be sending Spain and Fitz mugs oh. to each of those reporters. That is the big prize. I'm sure that they will be uh, savored and, and they will just be delighted with the victory. But also congratulations to them on the, the really nice job. I'm impressed. Yeah, all three of them are going to get that in the mail and say, what's Spain and Fitz? But it's perfect. Right. I like it. Uh, you know, particularly uh, Adam's been a friend for a long time, so I'm happy he can now drink coffee while looking at my name every day. There we go. Should we make fun of any of the people that did a terrible job? Uh, I mean, there are a couple people that maybe should be called out. Uh, I remember, I think, Brooke Pryor, who thought that the Steelers were going to be 13-4. and four? Yeah, but they still went to the playoffs. So they did, but thirteen and four fits. Uh, Jordan Renan had the Giants at nine and eight. Oh yeah, no Jordan. There should be a punishment thing. Like, there should maybe be a punishment just... for that. Uh, both Trotter and Hensley had the Browns and Ravens at twelve and five. We're building. That did okay. not happen. Nor did they make the postseason. Uh, there were some decent ones. Um, the Colts were not 11-6, and six, Jim Aiello. Everyone's much more hopeful than, than they should be because when the season starts, you just don't want to believe your team's going to be terrible. But um, but we yeah. actually called them out on that at the time, saying we to did. everybody, we did. the entire league people. cannot win 10 games. Like, yeah. There's a, just got to be some very sense true. of um, All right, so uh, fantasy, Stosh won. We don't need to talk about it. Two years in a row. We don't really need to wow. get into it. Like wow. He doesn't have enough joy with his Chiefs. He has to win fantasy as well. Stosh so thanks for 
nothing. Uh, the five pick Friday uh, was decided long ago. Uh, yes, I won my ass by a lot. Yeah. Unfortunately, the result of that is just you have to compose and sing a song extolling my virtues, which is kind of fun, actually. Mm-hmm. Whereas the divisional picks came down to the final day. And you beat me because of the Raiders. Woo! You beat me because of the Raiders. (laughs) We were alike on many of them. There were a couple divisions I completely smoked you on. And then it came down to the Raiders and the Chargers places. And that's why you beat me. And I have to do a polar plunge of all the bets to lose to you that mean nothing, that you've never paid off. And of course we know I'm going to pay it off because I'm a person of actual integrity. A polar plunge! Of all of them? In Chicago? God is good. You're the worst. Gosh darn it. Giants next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We are building Why here. Why should people trust There'll me? There'll be a Why press shouldn't? conference afterwards. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Talk about some of the performance of uh, some people. That... Hey, Chris. Sup? Uh, it's, it's Spain and hey, Fitz. Wait. What up? It's Sarah Spain, Jason Bits. We are going to miss Dave Gettleman's Bon Mo. Maybe we'll just call him up every once in a while in retirement, quote, quote unquote, retirement, and see if he has anything he wants to tell us. Uh, we're talking about the Giants. Dave Gettleman's gone. Joe Judge fired today after it felt like maybe the Giants were going to hang on, but the last bit of the season really sealed it for him. And Lawrence Tynes, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Giants and the host of the Blue Rush podcast, joins us now to talk about it. Lawrence, thanks for the time. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Okay, let's just give us your unvarnished reaction when you found out that the Giants had decided we will go against what we had seemed uh, to be headed towards in retaining Joe Judge, and we're actually going to move on. You know, I'm very active on Twitter, social media, with our fan base, and obviously with our show. It, it's a sign of, it's a sense of relief. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I honestly, today, we released a pod. We're going to do an emergency pod here coming up for tonight and tomorrow, is – I thought they were going to keep him. I, I don't know why, but I just thought they were sick of the public, you know, image of them being looked at as a clown franchise changing coaches every two years. So I was really afraid that they were going to keep him. They did the right thing. Let's be honest. Um, they needed to clean house, do a clean sweep and get some fresh blood in there from outside the organization. You know, they have not hired from outside the organization at the GM since 1979 was the last time they went outside the mm. organization. So it's been too much of the same thing, seven out of eight seasons, you know, double-digit losses. So new era in Giants football. And, Sarah, we appreciate your Bears for that top ten pick that you guys are going to give us. So you're welcome. we really need that. Well, we appreciate you for the quarterback that you're still looking for. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. That, that's, listen, I, I, that's a, that's a good, good rebuttal. <laughs> we are. <laughs> But I'm not, I'm not, I I am a Daniel Jones fan. I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's top 10. But if you think about what he played with, that offensive coaching staff, the last two seasons, probably the worst assembled offensive coaching staff in recent memory. Mm. We're talking to Lawrence Tynes, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Giants. Check out the Blue Rush podcast, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So then I'm going to make you the czar in charge of all things Giants. You get the opportunity to fix them. What's your first move? I'm going to go get uh, Joe Schoen up at Buffalo, the assistant GM, and I'm going to bring Brian Dable, his offensive coordinator. Mm. They need an offensive guy in there. I think there's a lot of really good defensive coordinators out there that will come work in New York. They have a pretty good base of players on defense. You know, you've got Vic Fangio out there. You've got Zimmer. You've got, if you want to retain Patrick Graham, who will probably get some, you know, head coaching opportunities 
Um, there's a lot of – they need to go offense. I mean, they've stunk. They have been horrific on offense. You guys saw it. You saw last week quarterback sneak inside the five on second and third down. I mean, it's been an embarrassment. And, um, yeah, so definitely would go with an offensive guy at the head coaching position. Is there more to it? And, and I, I ask that, I think, knowing the answer. By the way, Lawrence Tynes, two-time Super Bowl champ with the Giants, is with us here. Um, as far as culture goes, is there is there a bigger picture something that needs to happen here so that when these new folks come in, they have a shot at flipping things around? You know, I'm not I'm not in the building. You know, from everything I've heard, right. there's a lot of things people liked about Joe Judge. And obviously, I, I do talk to some players. I've been done for a while now. But, um, you know, he was just not willing to change. And obviously had his hands in every phase of the team and try to micromanage. And as you guys know, that stuff doesn't work. You got to let coaches coach. And of course, I think he hired the wrong people. I think this thing was a nightmare from the day he started where Jason Garrett was forced upon him and he gets Colombo. Colombo gets fired midseason because he didn't really hire him. And then, you know, it was the whole chain reaction of events from there to Garrett being fired this year. And then, of course, that never works and the offense got worse. So. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the culture, you know, listen, I'm, I love the New York Giants, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And I think that, you know, you just got to get the right people in there. And, and I think they got to go outside the building, not saying the people in the building are, are bad people. But I think a fresh set of eyes coming to New York, everybody wants to come to New York and have success and do well. So I think it's an attractive job for a lot of reasons. You mentioned earlier that you're a fan of Daniel Jones, not as elite, but at least as somebody that you can win football games with. When they bring in mm-hmm. new people to run the organization, should their opinion on Daniel Jones be a factor in who they decide to bring in? Yeah, I, I think that would be – listen, if you go back to his rookie season with Pat Shermer, who we all think is obviously a good coordinator. Of course, he just got fired in, in Denver – but Pat Shermer had him at, you know, 24 touchdowns and 12 picks as a rookie in 13 games because Eli played a few to start that year. And, you know, the sky was the limit for this guy. New York was excited. And then, obviously, the next year happened. And then you bring in Judge. I mean, it was just kind of a chain reaction. I obviously would like to see a veteran come in and push him a little bit, maybe a Trubisky who wants to maybe get his career back on track or a Marcus Mariota type. I mean, I don't – they're in cap hell, too. I mean, listen, this is a really bad situation across the board. Mm. They're going to completely redo everything. They have no money. They can't get rid of some free agents, which is what I would do if I'm coming in and starting over. I'm getting rid of some high-priced free agents. I'm going to eat the cap hits right now, and I'm just going to maybe start my own program. And I think that's what John Mara and Steve Tisch saw today is this is what we need to do because they've never done that. They've kept trying to retool this team through free agency. I mean, very few guys, very few Giants draft picks see a second contract. That's a problem. So, um, you know, better things are on the horizon. It's, 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 you know, Giants Nations is a little excited, not because Joe Judge got fired, but obviously because we're looking towards the future. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems is with Joe Judge not there, all of those players that left for other teams and more money won't be coming back like he promised. You know, the ones that were calling him every week, <laughs> right. uh, multiple times a, a day. They? Yeah, yeah. name them, name them. Yeah, Uh, Lawrence Tynes, two-time Super Bowl champ with the Giants, host of the Blue Rush podcast with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You said you're having an emergency pod. Um, This was a little bit of a surprise because 
they had kind of seemed like they were going to hang on to him. How much of that do you think is just the criticism from the public and the visuals or the optic, I guess, of, of how much turnover they've had at the quarterback, at the coach? Like the last couple iterations of this team all failing the same way seems to point the finger at the front office. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been bad for a long time, Sarah. I mean, seven out of 10, seven out of the last eight seasons, double digit losses. I mean, it's, it's been miserable. And the public perception, John Mara feels that. You know, his, his father, Wellington Mara, once famously said that the, the, the fans are our customers at the stadium. And listen, I don't know if you saw any shots from the stadium on Sunday, but there was maybe 10,000 people there. Um, they need to change something. And obviously the Giants recognize that. You know, John Mara is an email reader. Uh, he cares about the public perception and what New York City fans think, uh, to a fault almost, but it was the right move. I think Giants Nation, it's time to move on, and it's time to find a new GM and a new coach and see where this thing can go. It's going to take a little while. I don't expect instant results, but, um, you know, it's New York City, so it's a great destination to come play and win football games. So I think you make an interesting point about, you know, caring about the marketing and, and really the response from fans. Who's on the season ticket next year? Like, who is the guy that the Giants <laughs> are going to go with their fan It's base a medium say, Pepsi. This, yeah. but, medium but who's Pepsi. <laughs> it may go to large next year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> say that again, Jason. What was the question? Well, who's the guy that they're going to market everything to fans and say, hey, even as we rebuild, yeah. this is the person we rebuild with for you? You know, I've been very critical of Saquon Barkley, and it's not because I don't think he's a good player. Um, it's because where they took him in the draft at two overall in 2018 when you could have had Josh Allen. You know, you let him sit for a year behind Eli, and then Eli goes off on, on his retirement, and you've got Josh Allen there, or whoever the quarterback Mahomes was talked about at the time, too. Um, you know, that's, that's where this thing started to go downhill. I don't want to peg this on Saquon. I think he's a great human being. He is a good football player, but again, it's just the old rule. You just don't take running backs in the in the first round, let alone two overall. Ever since we've done that, you know, it really set this team back because you didn't really truly have a franchise quarterback. And then some people will say we reached on Daniel Jones. I don't think we did because obviously you saw what he did as a rookie. It's just the last couple of seasons with this offensive staff. I mean, I don't care who you put back there. I don't think they would have had any success. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's one of the worst things to end at the at, at the season is to not really know what you have because the season, yep. the team, the injuries. It's kind of like the Baker Mayfield situation. How do you really yep. look at Daniel Jones and know much of anything? We're having that a little bit here in Chicago. We saw enough from Justin Fields, and we're so quarterback, you mm -hmm. know, starved that we're willing yeah, to, to spin to be, it. You have to be. You know. In the, you know, in the NFL, you need a quarterback. And yeah, it's an important position. You just wish you had a better certainly... idea of what you got, which is tough yeah. for, the, for the Giants here. I think you're right, though. You kind of have to stick with it now unless a really great option arrives on your doorstep that, you, he, that wants cheap. to come play for you. You know, he's cheap, Sarah. He's, yeah. he's $8 million. We're mm -hmm. not going to pick up the fifth-year option. No way. I mean, you roll with that and, and see right. what and you got. And it's not a win-now team. Kind of... Yeah. Nope. Absolutely yeah. not. So, uh, Tell everybody yeah. where they can listen to your uh, emergency pod. The Emergency Possible will release it in the morning, but it's the Blue Rush podcast through the New York Post. So obviously, you can go to Spotify and Apple uh, Apple Pods, wherever you get your pods. Wherever so you get your pods. Anywhere, All right. anywhere, wherever you get your bloody pods. That's what That's we say right. on the podcast. <laughs> go check it out. Lawrence Tynes, former Giant with us. Thanks for the time, Lawrence. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a Thanks, good night. Man. See ya.
Don't forget, speaking of podcasts, to tune into ESPN Daily, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up more on a busy start to the NFL offseason. Plus, let's revisit something I did win, right? Okay, fine, we'll do it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If you haven't listened to the rest of the show, you missed me uh, blacking out and almost Greg Codying myself, complaining about George McCaskey and the Bears, and then revealing that uh, not only is my Bears Bears malaise a part of my general disposition tonight, but also I managed to lose to Fitz in the divisional picks uh, that we made preseason, essentially based solely on that Raiders-Chargers game, and that game decided the victory for Fitz, and now I will have to do a polar plunge somewhere in Chicago before the end of February after beating him in pretty much every other bet we've ever made except for one. Lost a WNBA bet because Candace Parker was out injured for most of the season. Uh, I mean, what do they always let's... say in the NFL draft, Sarah? It only takes one. Takes one. I got a good one. Well, um, also, like, I, you know what they also say is people who don't pay up on their bets um, are the worst. And someone, someone, I think it has rolled right off the tongue. Uh, someone suggested that I shouldn't have to do mine until you at least do, like, half of yours. I've never um, seen that on a T-shirt, so I don't think that's the same. Well, um. Live, laugh, love. You know what? You do live, laugh, love right through all of your obligations. And that's frustrating. I, of course, as a woman of integrity, will not be taking back what I promised based solely on your uh, refusal to, to own up to the bets. One day, either karmically or by my own hand, you will suffer the you consequences. What the have done to me for a lot of years? Karma has been kicking uh, me in the exactly. nuts for a generation. Uh, well, I look forward really to whatever isn't... horrific playoff loss you suffer as a result of this. Hey, really, isn't his bar tab like him paying off no. any bet ever? No, he enjoyed that and had a great time, and I got nothing out of it. He owes me wine and steak and charcuterie and everything else, so but no. you don't eat any of the meats anymore. Uh, Can excuse I me. Like tofu? You could get me all sorts of things, and I certainly eat the wine still, and I need it more than ever, uh, and you have point. kept that's it from point. me. Let's go back hey, to a time. send me free wine that I can then redirect? You know what? <laughs> You're the worst. First of all, we all know I'm the one who gets free stuff on this radio show. So yeah, I just paid $1,000 good luck. in a bar tab. Yeah. I can't send you wine. Good luck. I would have been at that bar and been like, oh, my God, thanks for comping everything. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Let's focus on a time when I was thriving. And that's when I whooped your butt week after week after week in Five Pick Friday. When they go into this game, they are going to be looking to secure that first round bye. They are a better team than the Broncos. So I am taking Kansas City. Jackpot, baby! My heart will be ripped out on Sunday night oh, when the Chargers man. beat the Raiders. And that's how this whole thing this whole thing comes to us. I'm taking the Chargers over the Raiders. You blew it! I'm going to end this season by, you know, putting some faith in my squad. Worst possible thing for the Bears is to continue to have success and somehow for the people upstairs to think that anybody should be retained. I still think they have something to play for, knowing that they can make sure they slam the door shut on the Steelers' playoff chances, which they will do. Baltimore will beat the Steelers. I'm bitterly disappointed. Yet again, like we see every year since 2013, the Colts will find a way to lose in Jacksonville, meaning the Raiders make the playoffs. Jackpot, baby! Jacksonville is a disaster and trash, and the fans will be wearing clown outfits, quite literally, in the stands at this game. So I'm taking the Colts. You look like a drunk 
moronic clown. <laughs> Why start being good now if a number one draft pick is on the line? I'm taking the Packers over the Lions. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <sighs> this is such an even matchup. It comes down to coaching. I'm not going to bet against Saban. think Alabama beats Georgia 35-31. Yeah. Georgia has won the national championship. My final pick is the Saints over the Falcons. That's very smarty pants. I've got one more pick for you, and it's an easy one. Titans over Texans. Uh, I will say that thankfully uh, I did pick the, the the Georgia Bulldogs on around the horn yesterday. I did make a passionate plea for them, and they ended up winning. So um, I'm just going to add that to my picks to make myself feel better because I need to like really be reaching for straws when I'm uh, suffering from this polar plunge defeat here. No, you you absolutely kicked my butt, and I couldn't have been more wrong. And by the way, I was rooting for Georgia, but I just I, I picked Georgia in the SEC championship game, and I think mm-hmm. I still had the. The sense of the ickiness, that's a right. really professional journalistic word that I use. Uh, the ickiness was still all over me from that, and I felt like I needed to shower it off with a little bit of Saban winning a national championship. Gross. Let's and not then it turned out that didn't happen either. I've made everybody sentence. uncomfortable with that whole yeah. analogy. You yeah. really did. Yeah. You really yeah. did. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we're going to get into this week a lot of conversation about the playoff matchups that we now have set. Just because we know the matchups doesn't mean we know anything about what's going to happen. I feel as unsure as ever about predicting the playoffs this season. It's going to be fascinating to look at some of those matchups over the course of the week leading up to those games. We also have a lot to talk about when it comes to coaches and GMs and vacant roles in the NFL. One of the most surprising fits was Brian Flores. This is a guy who put together back-to-back winning seasons. Since Stephen Ross took over, there have only been three winning seasons total, and two of them were from Brian Flores, who has a 4-2 and record against Bill Belichick. He was putting together an end to the season that had a lot of people believing the hot seat that he was on midseason was gone. And Bill Parcells, Pro Hall of Fame coach, was um, on with Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning and said he was impressed and surprised. That was a surprise, and, uh, you know, he has definitely brought that team to respectability and a good competitive level. I think there's still a little uncertainty on some of their personnel, but I think Brian Flores did an excellent job. You know, I know Chris Greer well. I've known him since he was 12 or 13 years old. He was in my draft room at New England when he was still in high school. So I don't know what the thinking there was, but Brian Flores has shown that he has the ability to take a franchise that wasn't doing well and get them to respectability. I don't think he'll be out of work very long. I don't think so either. In fact, if your coach that you just let go is on the top of some folks' lists for their candidates, you might want to wonder why you let them go. Yeah, I think he has the opportunity to be a home run hire for somebody because not only will he get another job because he's talented and good at what he does, he gets the chance to do do it again on the second shot at the job with an understanding of everything he learned the first time mm-hmm. around and a fresh start. So now you know walking in the building – the things you care about, the things you don't care about, how you want to run an organization, you're going to get a more experienced, better version of a coach just by nature of bringing him in. I think he gets a job right away in the hiring cycle, and I think he has a chance to be great wherever he goes. I do wonder about how he'll get along with front office folks, though, because a lot of people think that's what happened there. He was pushing for Deshaun Watson, didn't align with Tua, which is what management wanted. So that's something to keep in mind wherever he might end up next. Lots of talk about coaches, GMs, 
playoff matchups coming up later in the week. I also have to start planning whatever I'm going to wear for the polar plunge and where it's going to happen. The entire Giants front office, Joe Judge and Gettleman included, on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. That's going to be fascinating. Stick around. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.